All good? You? Oh, Lots of stress. Busters. Eight seconds, Jesus. Um, yeah, what's up, guys? Welcome to the Northeast Jits podcast. Back in the academy again today. That's um, nice, isn't it? To be back here. Always nice to be in here instead of on Zoom. <laughs> um, as always, Professor Mike. What's up? And today we're joined by Professor Craig Tetley, who runs Gracie by our Bradford. We're going to find out all about him and his story and his jiu-jitsu and his advice. And that's the show. Thanks for being here, Craig. I'm Travis. Thank you, guys. Yeah, may, may I say, one of the nicest beards <laughs> I've ever seen. Yeah, it's nice. very impressive. <laughs> Can we talk some beards later as well? Beard oil. Yeah. Steal your wife's products. Is that what it is? Yeah. Awesome. Still working on my Relationship bias, first. Professor, I'm just going to start out with him. More boring, usual questions you've probably got. Like, when did you start on Jiu Jitsu? How did you start on Jiu Jitsu? What's that story? Yeah, I kind of stumbled into it a little bit. Um, I um, I bought a, a book for my father in law um, for Father's Day. And it was, um, at the time, it was a, a, the old Hardman type books, When in Clean, oh, yeah. Roy Shaw. Um, I think it was called Pretty Boy Roy Shaw, and uh, he loved it. and raving about it and I sort of read it afterwards um, and uh, at the time I was quite taken by this kind of hard, hard man image. Um, These were kind of knuckle fighters back in the day. Yeah, they were sort of like uh, London gangsters as such but hard men of repute, bare knuckle fighters yeah. and whatever else like that. So I remember I, I drove down to Waterstones in Bradford to get another one that was very similar and luckily enough I picked up a book by uh, Jeff Thompson um, who's a well, well, at the time, I don't know, he's, he's taken a step back from martial arts at the moment, but at the time was a, a well-renowned martial artist, ex-dorm, and very much um, cross-trained across styles, very much self-defense oriented, um, and self-help and, and all that type of stuff. And I got his book, and um, that's where the kind of martial arts journey started, because he were, you know, like a well-known martial artist. So um, I was quite taken aback by Jeff, and I thought, I, I want to start some martial arts. And I walked into a, a Muay Thai club. Um, and I, I walked into one Muay Thai club and there were another one actually across the road. Um, and I was sort of like taking a, a, a trial and um, I, I looked across at people across the road and I thought, well, you know, I'll try it off and see what's best. And uh, the other one was just right for me. So I, uh, I, I took it on. Um, I, didn't, I didn't like the kicking aspect of the art. So, Luckily enough, in, within that academy, this was run by uh, Darren Good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, who was uh, Tom Harris. In fact, Tom oh, Harris, yeah. Professor Tom Harris, was there at the time. When so I was in Germany. Shout out to Tom, Tom Harris. Yeah, yeah so um, he, he was there, and, and um, Darren Good was, um, he ran the kind of jiu jitsu, kind of a Japan, Japanese jiu jitsu uh, style. Um, he run that and there was a Muay Thai gym and they both were kind of like training out of the same gym. So I took Muay Thai, didn't like the uh, kicking aspect of it and then moved over to the Jiu-Jitsu. Um, and this is literally before I even had heard of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. 
So what? Sorry to interrupt. So what date was this? Are we talking like early two thousand? We, we are talking. So I'm, we're talking twenty one years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. twenty one years ago. So and was that flexing back from where they there? It was called Kickers. Kickers. That's kickers. Yeah. Yes. yeah Tom talking about that. Yeah. 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 Kickers. It were um, it, it were a great little academy. How uh, old were you at the time? I was nineteen. Right. Yeah, nineteen. Mm-hmm. And your dad was like the first experience in martial arts. Was it? I'd, I'd taken kickboxing when I were a kid. Um, I'd always been sort of um, interested in martial arts, sort of Bruce Lee ninjas, you know, the usual type, yeah. of, type of thing. But I'd, I'd, I'd actually taken on uh, basketball. So I left uh, kickboxing to basketball, um, which at the time I was getting bullied quite a lot in school and, and, and stuff like that and started kickboxing originally to deal with that. Um, I moved over to basketball and luckily enough, as you guys probably are quite well aware, one of the things to deal with bullying and stuff is to actually raise confidence. Correct. And through basketball, I actually got to a reasonable standard and, and, and did quite well and that raised my self-esteem by quite a lot. Wow. So that was a great, um, a great transition actually, but you know, martial arts sort of like never left my, you know, I always kind of intended to get back into it again at some point. And like I said, the book really catal- catal- were a catalyst for that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, I, luckily enough in Kickers, there were a number of different styles with the judo. There was a, a, a guy called Chad, a Canadian guy who was teaching. Uh, he was a great Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu guy. Um, and he was coming in and, and teaching some Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which I think sparked the interest of of Darren, who was there, and um, a few others. Uh, they had some excellent judo guys, excellent like judo British squad, uh, Tony Devine, uh, phenomenal judo. And all them guys sort of like really got interested in the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And luckily enough, um, Darren had the foresight to go over to Brazil, got a relationship with Mauricio Gomez, and started what was essentially the first kind of Gracie Barography. So that's where I kind of stumbled into it. Really, it wasn't a right. You know. Was Gracie Bar Bradford like quite? Must have been one of the earliest kind of Gracie Bar schools, then, right? Yeah, I think, I think Darren says it was maybe one of the first four. Yes, such it was very, very early on. I mean, this is before Braulio would come over from Brazil, and certainly the first in our region. Oh, without a doubt, miles without a doubt. I mean, Darren worked a little bit, but there was no Brazilian Jiu Jitsu at the time. In fact, all the the, the Competitions that were going on at the time were all back to back, sat on the floor. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We used to start sparring on that. Yeah, like, that's how we used to start. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, actually, I, I remember when the first sort of, I think it was Senai, was the first big Brazilian Jiu Jitsu competition that were, um, it were the uh, Gracie Invitation, I think they called it Senai. Right. And uh, they started from a standing position and we were all a little bit like, oh, wow, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome, man. So that, because I think, so this is interesting. So my, our paths we were just discussing earlier, I haven't crossed that often. No. But I started like 20 years ago-ish, um, but didn't actually start my Jiu-Jitsu journey properly. There was a gap and then we got 2009, 10. At that point, I think Tom was just leaving Bradford to mm-hmm. go to Bramley. So when, so when Tom, who was my first instructor, and he was a blue belt at the time, was he a white belt at the time as well? Was this before? Yeah. Oh, really? So yeah. Darren was kind of leading that, that Darren, charge. Yeah, Darren was leading the charge, and um, he was getting, at the time, Braulio were coming over for seminars. I think Braulio were just pretty much fresh up from Brazil before he won his first world title. 
and uh, he were coming up and doing the art seminar. Um, I think Tom would have been promoted in and around that time. I think um, I remember we took a cultural load of guys down to Senai to compete, and, and I'm pretty sure um, Tom were there at the time probably did quite well and got his blue ball. Yeah, yeah, so. Well, um, what was it like learning Jiu Jitsu back then? Because obviously there wasn't like, there wasn't big YouTube or BJJ Fanatics. No. But was it kind of just experimenting with stuff and then finding bits from the seminars it, and traveling? Or? It was, yeah, it was literally, Darren would travel and he'd come back and he'd be like, oh, we've got this new guard, this kind of butterfly guard, and we were all playing butterfly guard wrong. It was we kind of like had the feet on the hips and, and playing a kind of hybrid sort of spider guard, and we all called it butterfly guard. It was very, um, very raw, and nobody knew what we were doing. Um, yeah, um, and Braulio would come down and he'd teach us a few different techniques that would drill for months until he came back again. Um, and then, Things started to pro pro uh, progress very rapidly. Right. Um, we had Victor uh, came over from Brazil, um, and yeah, e everything seemed to just roll on incredibly fast. Mm. Um, look, we, we were very, very lucky that Victor started coming up um, on a, I think, a fortnightly basis. I think he lived with Tom for a little while, and he stayed, stayed, he stayed he, he, Well, when, yeah, he could probably do it, but he were actually stopping with Darren quite a lot. And uh, I, I was lucky enough at the time that I, I kind of was tasked with picking up Victor in the morning because he didn't drive. So um, he'd come over, stay a couple of nights, do a lot of privates, teach some classes. I'd go over, pick him up, take him to Costco and, uh, sorry, Costco, Costa and, um, around shopping around Bradford and whatever else and looked after him a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, he was, at that point, he barely spoke English. I, I remember him. Was it so, like, oh, he was a purple belt. Yeah. 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 Phenomenal. Big hair. Big hair. Yeah. 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 He was very young. Yeah. 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 I remember him learning English through a Dido song. You know, like, surrender. Yeah, he just came in, he was, he was just phenomenal. An incredible athlete, we'd never seen that like it before. Mm -hmm. He came in and submitted everybody with his beautiful close guard, you know, classical jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Um, yeah, we were all quite taken aback with him. And, and look, lucky enough that he, he, he came up and, and he progressed jiu-jitsu within, within Bradford enough to, and inspired me massively. Um, just watching his, his lifestyle was just phenomenal. I, I just, I couldn't believe it. I, I was working on the doors at the time and just doing jobs that would enable me to train. And Victor was, you know, having Costco going teaching classes, teaching privates. And he says, yeah, man. He says, you know, if you want this, then you've got to invest. And, um, yeah, so we, we had um, Professor Victor up here recently. Um, he's always had that aura, really, hasn't he? He's no, always yeah. been that. Probably the two, but I mean, I know Victor much better. He's always had that kind of like, when you're around his presence, there's something going on that you can't really kind of put your finger on. Like, I feel like it's like some X Factor. Yeah, for sure. And he always was like a visionary. Um, and that word's overused for a lot of people, but for him, I remember him standing up in the old, old, old Grace Warriors and saying, listen, this is going to be huge. We're going to professionalise Jiu-Jitsu. And you're not going to be paying three pound a class, you're going to be paying a month for membership. And then when you were wearing the same uniform, and then I was like, nah, nah, yeah. not going to happen. And then look where we are. And look where we are. Yeah, it's, it's an incredible, an incredible uh, uh, growth. 
I mean, from seeing it from the beginning and, and being lucky enough to see it to where it is now, it's, it's just, it's mind-boggling. Yeah. Um, so how did your, what I first heard of you when Tom said to me, there's this guy called Craig, he's going to come and do a seminar. You might have just got your black belt at the time. Uh, Brown. Brown. Yeah, I've just come back, probably just come back from Birmingham. Right, and he said, there's this guy who's been living in the boot of his car so he can train down at Brownlow's. Yeah. So, I want to hear that story. So, what's yeah. that all about? Because for me, that was like, wow, this guy's, you're the first person I've heard of that actually like dedicated and some serious sacrifice to Jiu Jitsu. So, can you tell us about that story? Yeah, uh, so um, the book I referenced for Watch My Bad book by Jeff Thompson, um, he had left his job and um, gone to train with Neil Adams, uh, uh, ex Jiu Olympian, and it, left his job, gone to train full-time. Um, and I remember reading about it as it was going on and I was just, I was like, wow, I'd love to do something like that. I'd love to um, make a big achievement and do something, you know. Um, like I said, I was just I working kind of, working on the doors, just facilitating training. Well, I kind of, I'd had this example of Victor, what he was doing. I had the example from uh, Jeff Thompson, and I had an example from Matty Evans, who was one of uh, Jeff Thompson's chief instructors. He would do very similar the same thing. And actually, he took the time to say, Craig, you've got to have an exit plan from the door work and all that type of stuff, you know, getting, getting into trouble fights left, right, and center. And he's like, do you have any kind of plan? I'm like, well, I'd like to maybe teach, you know. And I remember speaking to Victor about it, and he says, listen, he says, yeah, put the time in. Um, if you if you fancy doing it, so the plan in the beginning was to move down to London, right. um, because that in my mind was the only full time academy. Even though I knew Victor and I was spending time with Victor on a fortnightly basis, in my mind there were just Odger in London. So I like I'm going to London. So of course, like most plans, we me and my wife had sort of like yeah, let's do it. Which you married at the time. We're, I, yeah, um, no, we, we weren't married, but I've been with my wife since I was like 16. So she was going to have to sacrifice. I know. It's a massive sacrifice for her. She's uh, like a homely girl. Family is everything to her. And when she was like, well, yeah, let's do it. It was just an incredible thing. And, and she was, I mean, she she moved down there, took a job in sales in a gym to, you know, because she had the the vision to be running the business side of, of an academy that inevitably we, we hope to have. So yeah, um, she, she supported that move massively. Um, but we set the plan to, to move to London first of all. And um, I remember just, we kind of like, can we do it without moving? Can we maybe travel? And you know, uh, there's some great Juno around here. So we kind of talked ourselves out of it. Um, and then we, I remember we got our first house together um, and we were <laughs> literally just signed the lease, uh, the, the uh, tenancy agreement, and I'm like, I want to go to London. And she's like, are you serious? We just signed, signed a year's tenancy uh, agreement and I'm like, yeah, I'd love to move. She's like, okay, let's do it. So anyway, we decided on London. I sat in um, Starbucks, I remember in Bradford with Victor and I said, I'm, I'm moving to London, Victor, I'm, just, I'm doing it. And he said, why are you going to London? He says, why are you not coming and seeing me? You know, I'm like, oh, why do you have a full-time academy? He's like, yeah, we've got afternoon classes and everything else. And I'm like, right, 
That's it. I'm going to <laughs> So it changed again. Um, is it, sorry, your wife, Sam? Sam, yeah. I mean, that's some support. That is some support there. I mean, you've got to pause on that for a moment. Anyone listening yeah. who's got a wife or a partner who's just signed it, and then you come home and say, oh, love, I'm packing the job in. I'm going to go do some jiu-jitsu for like five years or however long it takes. You're going to come. I mean, that's amazing. Oh, it's incredible. Um, What's an amazing relationship? Yeah, absolutely. I'm a blessed. We've been together since we're 16 and she's supported everything I've ever done. She's been one of the, I mean, even opening up the academy and leaving my job when inevitably when I was a brown belt and I left it was all Sam. I was driving that. Yeah, I'm like, oh, no, I'm, I'm not too sure about that. And she's like, no, listen, we're, we're okay. We'll do it. And it, it, a lot of it's going to go down to where I'd, I'd probably, yeah, even now I'm like, mm, do we really do this? And she's like, listen, <laughs> you know, so I suppose it's a bit. We yeah. joked about the relationship advice at the start, but it turns out we actually do need Craig's to give us the relationship. How can we convince our parts to do anything? Sounds like, I think I've got a special one. Yeah, yeah. I was just about to say that. And uh, worth reflecting on Sam, sound like an actual yeah. legend. So you, you go, you decide now, you tell Victor, right, I'm moving to Birmingham. What happens next? Yeah, so I uh, so we got everything sorted. Um, Sam got a, a job down there in um, a, a local gym. She, we, we all moved down. I literally moved into the house, put all the stuff in, and left Sam there and moved, drove back because I was still working up in Bradford. So, I mean, again, she, she kind of just got dumped in burning, burning by herself a little bit. And, um, and then I was sort of like, at the time, going backwards and forwards a little bit. So I'll work up in, in Bradford and Leeds doing security and stuff and uh, I'll drive back down and spend, so maybe, I can't quite remember, but maybe like Monday to Friday and then drive back, um, which was lucky because I went through the most incredible uh, period of depression once I moved down. Oh. Um, I just left my brother and my, uh, my mum, who I kind of felt quite responsible for. I was quite responsible man of the house as such in while I just moved out for it just recently but I was so close to them and over there all the time and when I kind of left them I, I think there were a certain part of abandoning them but also I'd never been away from home myself and I just got dumped in this kind of city with like right now you've got to do now you've got to go and train now you've got to go and get a job that's going to work around training and and funnily enough it sounds silly but we got a puppet because Sam's big condition is I'll move to Birmingham, but we get a dog. <laughs> so, that's like a good deal. Yeah, so we got this dog. And um, I, don't, I don't know about just the pressure working after a puppy and... You struggled with that pressure? I struggled, struggled. I was walking around like a puppy dog myself, waiting for Sam to come on in an afternoon. And I, it was an incredible, incredibly difficult period. It's the first kind of... Well, I've never been through anything like that before. Um, be driving through the streets of Birmingham just almost in tears, you know. Just really? yeah, incredible, a really incredible, difficult time to the point where I'd never felt like I was gonna not do it because I'd invested so much. But um, and Sam's support was massive. She was like, "Listen, just a bad period, we'll get over it." And I did. Um, I took a little, I took a little step back, so I, I kind of kept my job on in Bradford just for a little bit longer than what I was necessarily planning to do. And coming back home a little bit just kind of helped that transitionary period and then before long I had a job down there all that kind of passed but it, it was I've actually got a student right now who's just moved to Liverpool 
um, to train full time uh, in MLA and, and grappling and stuff. And he's going through some of the same like camouflage and wow. sickness and, and whatever else. So, yeah, I can I totally understand that. I think it's part of the process, isn't it? Nothing, nothing good comes from without a, a bit of struggle and suffering. So, yeah, it was character building. And how long did that journey last then? So, from going down to Birmingham, you were a blue belt at the time? Or? I was a blue belt, yeah. Okay, and so yeah. you stayed down there how many years? Five years. Five years, I believe, yeah. Away from our own family. Yeah. So yeah. sacrifice that. And um, and so at what point, and you were training on the ground hill? Yes. And you were training how often? Um, it, initially, I went down, I thought I'm going to train twice a day. All the time. And then when I got down there, reality kind of hits. And you know, you've got like, a full-time job in Birmingham. We're quite, uh, quite expensive. But I, I was there. I was there a lot. I would train, you know, um, I would train every day, pretty much twice a day sometimes. Um, and f- phenomenal, just rolling up to the mat and seeing Braulio in his hair there, you know, mm-hmm. um, on, I mean, this was in and around where he won the ADWC, yeah, won his category, won the absolute. 2009? 2009, and that was incredible. Watching his camp before it, um, yeah. watch him achieve all his, his dreams and, and become this massive superstar. Well, can be still the same one, like by the garages? No, it was over in um, Acox Green. It was um, it was at a, it was underneath a gym called Stevie B's. Um, that's that's where, and then he, he moved from there, and, and he's, he's moved a couple of times since that. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. It, when when I first went down, he literally just moved into that particular gym. Um, it was just, it was just phenomenal, and that must have been inspirational then to see this kind of like god of jiu-jitsu. Like to how was your teacher and to see oh, him every day is pretty special. It, it was so special. I, 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 I'd, I'd rock up on a, on a morning to an afternoon session, and there'd be Crowley up uh, on a lot around Octavio Souza, Charles Megamont. You know, there's so many guys that were just coming over because Crowley were there, and Josh St. Pierre later on, and so many different guys. It was just, it was phenomenal. Audrey would just roll in the gym. You know, it was just incredible. Um, like, where, in the, where else in the world can you play? No, and, and you get to train with these guys, you know. I, like, luckily enough, um, in his run up to ADWC, we'd all get to train with him because Barry actually going down to London and training with, with Audrey, he trained with the students primarily for, you know, he, obviously, he had to yeah, get to their course, which was, I'm sure, um, essential. You know, he had that kind of level. Um, but even even Victor at the time was a was a purple belt and, and Bradley were already world champion. So um, Victor Rock was still on his, his ascent. Mm. Charismatic guy as well, Bradley too. Right? Oh. So like the personality of that yeah. must have been so much fun. Oh, it's so fun being around it. I mean, Bradley always been been that way. He's he's, he's larger than life, and yeah. he's like one of such a, a great person. It's, I, I seen something the other day. You know, we, there's been lots of controversy in jiu-jitsu world at the moment and, and somebody had put something on about Bernard, Bernardo Ferrer being I just want to accuse Bernardo Ferrer of being a decent human being <laughs> and um, I, I thought the same about Bradley and, and Victor of course and, but speaking about Bradley he's, he's just he's always been an incredible an incredible person and, and, and as a professor and as a teacher it's you know, what, what a privilege to, to have been guided by a person like that awesome yeah. And how did how did your jiu-jitsu kind of develop over those five years? 
Were there like a lot of ups and downs of it, or did it happen? Was it just like, oh, ups and downs? Um, periods of even inactivity, kind of stopped training. I, the thing is with Birmingham, it go like a killer's roll. Um, but you look across the map and they're just just incredible jiu-jitsu practitioners and athletes everywhere. And it was so different. I remember when I when I first moved down as a as a blue belt, I just I, I, my mum owned uh, worked in a, a, a pub and lived in a pub and I, I remember walking into the uh, into the, the lounge area and she looked at my face and she was just like, Oh my god, what's happened to you? I had black eyes and I had no skin on my nose for about two years because I just every time I roll and I get the skin ripped off my nose and I just oh absolutely battered. And that won't buy the good guys. That that will buy everybody. <laughs> Victor actually asked me at the time, he says, How are you getting on, Craig? I was like it was it was positive and not get too disheartened with it. I think um I had great mentors, so um I I I read I read a lot. Um, and, and still do, and, and I had mentors from, from afar, so I had Jeff Thompson and Matty Evans, and these people were talking about strength of character and determination. And so I'm, I suppose, from where I came from, where I had none of them voices, I'm relaying my internal voice with, with their voices. So I'm, I'm kind of getting into these positions where I'm feeling, I, re- I remember I went into a, a being cute at one point to pick something up. In fact, I sat outside of the car and my wife went in, Sam, and she's seen Browley win there and he's like, where's Craig? He, and, I, and I've moved down to Birmingham and I, I'm inactive, I'm not training for, for a month because I'm, I'm just finding motivation and everything. Yeah, you know, this is the thing with Jiu Jitsu, you go through these ups and downs, don't you? This is part of the journey. It's not. Well, we know that. We yeah. know that. But a lot of our listeners don't. don't. And, and yeah. I think, can we just pause on that for a moment? I'd love to hear your kind of take on this because I'm, as a professor, always trying to get across to people that that is normal. Yes. Everyone goes through this. Yes. This is jiu-jitsu. Yeah. The journey yes. is jiu-jitsu. Yes. People put so much pressure on themselves in this struggle. Mm-hmm. So you had that. Yes. I've had that. Yeah. This is normal. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think... Um, when, when I look at my, my students also, it's not just the, the challenges that you find on the map. It's, like I said, in, in Birmingham, it's a killer's row. However, there's personal problems and all the obstacles that you're going to have to overcome. I, I had injuries are going to be one that everybody's going to go through. Um, and you're going to have to have the strength of character, the determination to deal with the setback, the frustration, overcome that, fight your way through it and see it, I suppose, as part of the journey. You know, that when I, I broke my arm, um, I seen that as part of my inevitable, like when I get my black belt, it's not just the, the how well you've done the spars, it's actually how well you've overcome the injuries and set that mm-hmm. You know, I the depression that I spoke about when I first moved down there, I, I seen that as part of it. Um, I had a, a pneumonia and a collapsed lung and um, again when I was going through that I, I seen that as part of it I didn't see it as almost I didn't even see it as a break from jiu-jitsu almost I seen it as right well this is the next obstacle that I've got to overcome to yeah. get back to full fitness and get back to rolling and, and, and you know and this is going to be part of the character development I think that's I think that was always a part of how I thought about 
for Germany in Jiu-Jitsu. It wasn't just about, it's all very nice learning how to do triangles, arm bars and, and beautiful techniques and this type of stuff. But um, I always had a, um, I always had one eye on the character development. The, um, and, and, the, and these things permeate down through your life. And I think that's, I always tell my students that try to, try to see how Victor, oh, sorry, Victor, um, Jiu Jitsu impacts your personal life and then you can never let it go. You know, um, it's like the, I'm sure you guys have, have seen the same, but through the whole, the, the COVID lockdowns, it's like, you, the nice thing with Jiu Jitsu is you become a, 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 I suppose, a high level problem solver as such. Um, and then when you go through personal problems, your business shuts down or whatever else, well, how can I navigate and, and solve these problems? Um, well, we pin that and reset this. Um, so, pause. Okay, we're back in. Awesome. All right. So, um, so I got a bit sidetracked there. We we left off with talking just a bit about jujitsu in general, right? About well, we're talking about the obstacles yeah. and um, just off camera there. Well, I think we should touch talk about that. I was just saying that, Craig. You know, a lot of our students are now four or five months and they're all pretty much brand new, right? Apart from a couple that I've inherited from other academies. Um, and they're hitting their first obstacles. They're hitting their first kind of questions like, okay, this is harder than perhaps I thought physically, mentally. I'm finding it hard to motivate myself to come two, three times, four times a week. That person there just tapped me and last week I tapped them and does that mean that they're now better than me? And is the, am I good enough for this? And you said to me, Craig, there that we've, all been through that and you continue to go through yes. as do I so yeah. just tell me what happened to you last week then yeah so I, I got tapped by one of my students last week and um, it was a blow to the ego and I had to I had to uh, give myself a little talking to as you always do it, it's never nice you know um, I'm like it was an opportunity to learn what went wrong and correct the mistake so it, it's not in uh, it's not something that's inevitable to happen again you know, so it's like what, you know, uh, um, Master Carlos Grace Jr. says, it's, it's you either win or you learn, and that is the, the real truth of it. But that that happens, That that's something, uh, that feeling of not being good enough or that feeling of the frustrations and everything that you just said that your student's going through, it's, it's stuff that we all go through continuously. And I think that's just something to recognize that it's not, it's not unique to, yourself and your journey we we even the the guys who you might be looking up to in terms of your professors coaches they go through the, the same uh, and even can sometimes be a little bit more devastating you know because you you feel like you should be not going through that um yeah. because you, you've been in the app for so long but no um yeah i think i think that's pretty normal and i think i think that's the thing to recognize is that that's where all the gold comes from it's it's all them difficulties. They they they're the difficulties that shape the character. You want them. You want, you want them. them. Yeah. You want them. If if it was easy, then it wouldn't it wouldn't mould you. It, it's a jujitsu is a forge, and it, it shapes and hardens your character. Um, and you've just got to recognise that that is that is what it is, and expect them challenges. Expect them moments where you just think this is just not for me. But then pick yourself back up, dust yourself off and keep going. Because as we all know, the people that stay in the art 
have, it's not necessarily the most talented people, it's the ones that will just keep coming and keep coming and keep going through all them setbacks. And so what, what, what were you saying to yourself then in those darker moments in Birmingham with the depression, with the pressures of succeeding? Because you'd almost told people, I'm going down to do this. I suppose there was a certain yeah. self-pressure. And you had those breaks for what what were you telling yourself? Was it you or was it Sam or was it Bradley? How were you getting back to the map? I, I I think I, I had a number of different mentors which were very, very important because like I say, I, I, I didn't come from a place where I had um, anybody who who relayed their messages to me. I, I came my my mum was pretty much a single mother. I you know, she, I had a uh, she had some partners and um, but it wasn't a it wasn't a household where I, you know, we we got talked to and and you know, no, if you're not struggling with your homework, you you work a little bit harder. Not none of these messages were really relayed to me, so I, I really had to have mentors. And and I think the one thing that I keep coming back to Jeff Thompson because he was he was ma- massive. He was talking about you've got to become a voracious reader. You've got to become somebody who he's going to read and learn from people that have gone before the great men that have come before and um, and learn their lessons and, and allow their voices to become your new internal voice you know so when I was going through them moments I'm, look, I'm, I'm looking at Jeff Thompson I'm thinking man he, he won't give up he just keep he, he just see it as part of the process that's, that's what he says so I've just got to I've just got to keep plugging through and keep going and and, and Braulio was a part of that he, he was a, a huge mentor he he, um, he showed through actions you know he had inevitable setbacks in, in in competition and just the way he deal with it and the way or I'd, I'd seen get tapped on the mat and the way he'd just stop everything and he'd go right now and he'd run through that scenario time and time and time again until that you just know it's never going to happen again. Oh wow! You know, okay. he, he just had that kind of mindset that he did. He didn't, and and if he didn't get tapped, if he did get tapped by one of his students, everybody would know about it. He wouldn't hide it. He would just go, no, this this is. He was such a, a standard bearer for everybody, you know, and and he 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 showed through through actions in in, in that way. So if anybody were just being half, just paying attention to it, you know, it were it were very evident. Um, there's a certain kind of pressure when you get your black belt isn't there that uh, not from yourself but from I suppose the perception of others that you know no one can beat you you're the black of course you're going to lose that's part if you maintain that jiu-jitsu kind of um, ethos and, and you're there to learn you should be getting tapped I always talk to my students and the same for you Craig, that you know the process should be that your students become better than you that's the that point. is the growth that's how we all develop and then that drags me up again and drags mm. you up again absolutely that's how we should be working absolutely absolutely yeah i um i i think you should be putting yourself in dangerous spots as well if you you know as a as a practitioner if you i, I could look at a student and one of my students because i know the games and go well i'm going to stay away from their sharp edges and i'm going to use a particular pass for instance that i know it's going to be safer or i could I could know their sharp edges and, and and go for that particular pass where I know I'm in danger and inevitably get caught. But I know then that when I do go with somebody who might have the same similar attributes, I've been there, seen it before, and, and that's where growth is. So I think this is the thing where you, you you do have to try and have some control over your ego in some way. Um, and that's a very difficult thing because it's ever present. But can you control it? Can you can you um, 
do you have the space around it enough if you know what i mean that kind of yeah. that internal that internal voice that everybody has you're not good enough it's like do you see that voice as, as you you know or yeah. is it separate from you that's the kind of i i, I read a, a book called uh, a power of now by eckhart tolle uh, and that was very very incredibly informative to having that kind of separation with that egoic mind, that internal voice. It's just recognizing that a lot of that voice is is your environment from your youth, how you're brought up, your your you know, your community or your your general environment. And recognizing that that can be um you can you can put a different internal voice over that. Yeah, there's perception, yeah. yeah. It shifts your perception, that yeah. guy of what that voice is yeah. saying, yeah. And I think that's, I think that's incredibly important for, for, for your growth in jiu-jitsu because if you're going to go to a competition, for instance, and you get beaten in the first round and your internal voice is saying, I got embarrassed in front of everybody. And now all of a sudden you've got that, that shame where you, You've got to go home and you've got to tell your parents or your your wife or your family or whatever else. Or you can re- recognize that that internal voice is not helpful. It's not my voice. I can say, no, I'm, I, I'm not going to engage with it. I'm going to um, ignore it and I'm going to relate with a more positive voice. No, it's a learning process. And I'm going to lose in the beginning. And Browley lost his first. I think three competitions at Purple Belt. And, yeah. You know, Joe Calatagi lost yeah. his first amateur fight. And, yeah, and Victor and, never won Black Belt Worlds in the gi. You know, was always on the podium and never won. And that must have been hard because he was at the top hard. of his game then. Yeah. You know, and he, he was expected to, to win at some point, but he mm. never did in the gi. Yeah. Only no gi. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, and, and Victor's a, a phenomenal example with with that type of stuff. And he, and he, he kept going. But never stopped his fighting. positivity. Like never, never moaned about it. No. You know. And and you, you you could imagine how that could have beat him down quite a bit. And yeah, he kept going and he wins uh, Nogi Worlds. Which, and he gets his world title, which is yeah. a phenomenal achievement. And, and uh, especially with, I, I, I mean, I remember Victor in, in the early days when he was, you know, he had this massive, bro, you know, this brother who's a, an incredible, incredible athlete and I remember in the early days how Victor struggled in competition he yeah. said himself he, he was great in the gym and struggled in competition and that was the very very early days as a as a, as a blue belt purple belt and you know fast forward a few years and he's competing against I mean this is the thing about Victor he were in, an, in a division with Marcelo yeah, middle um, right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. They're Kalasans, all killers. I mean, well, Kalasans was his nemesis, right? Quite a yeah. he, he lost to Kalasans a few times. Yeah. I mean, it's a who's who, in it? Of, yeah. of uh, all-time greats. Yeah. 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 When Bradley Hill's talking to us about that, uh, that, that uh, yeah. his category in that, the one that he's in, is like, like still full of killers. Yeah. yeah. You know, we've spoken to, uh, change topics a bit, but spoken to a few people now, um, in the UK, like Mark Boulder and Steve Campbell, and kind of yourself, have gone on these like jiu-jitsu pilgrimages in a way. Like they've gone, they've kind of found like a the initial catalyst of jiu-jitsu, and they've gone off out into the world and they've pepped up their lives uh, to go find more of it. Why is jiu-jitsu so powerful that like, it can just get someone to like pack up their life and go right? I'm doing this now. <laughs> yeah, because I, I don't think that'll happen again, right? Because because there's so much jiu-jitsu around. So mm-hmm. I think it's like maybe. 
crystallised that one bit of time in the UK at least. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, funnily for me, funnily enough for me, it actually, it we're on a knife edge whether it were jujitsu that I packed everything up for actually. Um, at the time when I, when I spoke about London, there, there was a big consideration to go down to the um, the the Budokai the, oh, right. to do judo. They had a, I think the thing for me was I wanted to train with somebody world class and I wanted to do it full time. I, I was quite dissatisfied with my life. Not unhappy, I had a great life. I had a wonderful partner and I had a, a wonderful family and friends and, uh, you know, I had a great time, but there were, I, I suppose a lot of people feel this, but there were a certain amount of dissatisfaction, um, a river of kind of discontentment. And I, I felt like I wanted to achieve something that would get rid of that. And it, it, so at the time, sorry, I'm, I'm branching off a little bit, but it, it, there was a couple of different options and and it would just look that it was bjj because i love judo and i love bjj it wasn't necessarily um it, it was more down to that dissatisfaction that was the propelling factor mm. um and actually when i did go down and, and started with jiu-jitsu each i thought it will go away when i get my purple belt it will go away when i get my brown belt and it never did you know i got my purple belt and it felt the same I got my brown belt and I felt it felt the same, um, and that that went away with a little bit more. Um, Has it gone away? Yes. When? Um, I think I got some practices in place. Um, I, I started meditating, breathing, practicing a certain amount of gratitude. There were there were there were this part of my my ego that was wanting something more rather than being here in the present and actually recognizing what I had. Um, I think that there's a, I, I suppose it's part of a process I'm looking at. I'm looking at Browio and his achievements and going, oh, never achieved anything. You know, you, you're around all these kind of monsters and, and just after a while recognizing that, yeah, you've, you've got to feel enough now who enough. you are right now, you've got to feel enough. Yeah. yeah. And you are doesn't... enough. It's just that egoic mind that that tells you that you're not. I had that internal voice saying, you're not good enough. You're not, you've not achieved anything. You've not, you know. Um, and when you did achieve something, when, you know, it, at, at the time, a goal of a black belt was, was at the time it was incredible. I mean, yeah. it still is, of course. But, it, there's it's 10 years of difficult, really hard work. But um, at the time, it was like there were no other black belts. There, were, there were just, yeah. yeah, there were just Braulio, uh, there were Victor, and a few, a like, handful of other guys. And um, at the time, it's like, I want to achieve this thing that is very, very rare. Um, but as you start achieving it, it, it doesn't, it, you achieve the purple belt, it's like, well, yeah, but I'm only a purple belt maybe when I'm a brown belt and then when you achieve a black belt it doesn't it doesn't all of a sudden make you feel like yeah I've, I've arrived it, it's all of a sudden you feel inadequate as a black belt <laughs> you know what I mean so yeah. it's, it's fantastic you say that so in lockdown um, I'm going to refer back to those Q&A's right because Craig's basically saying what, what I was saying I was saying to people like tell me what your goal is so we had a lot of members who would dial in on the Q&A masterclass on a Friday night and, and a lot of the goals were I want to be a blue belt and I was saying it's the fucking worst goal. Don't want to be a blue belt because 
just as you said, when you're a blue belt, it's like, well, what next? The goal should be, I want to improve myself and stick at this for however long it takes yeah. and just enjoy the journey. Enjoy so the journey. Sit, put your goal as a black belt because mm -hmm. that's going to be at least kind of eight to 10 years, mm -hmm. right? And then just go through the journey. Mm -hmm. If you set your sights too low in jiu-jitsu, it can come hit you quite hard. Yeah, I think And you so. never really achieve what you feel you want to try and achieve. But again, black belt, you know, there's always someone better than you. There's always black belts better than me. Yeah. You know what I mean? And oh. then we have someone comes in the gym like Mark McQueen. Yeah, he's just winning everything at the minute. Smashes me, and he was a blue belt at the time. Big guy, like, but still better than me. That's humbling. Yeah, I, you know, I've been through the same. I, I've got, I've got students who, I'm like, you're a blue belt. I shouldn't be struggling with you. I, yeah. I should be, yeah, I should be looking phenomenal, like Brawio does with me. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, that's that's part of it, and and that, I think that's that that's one of the things where you know you meet the nicest people in jiu-jitsu quite often. Is because the the ones with massive egos can't stick that they, they can't stick that um, that humbling aspect of it because it does humble you. You know, I, I've I've I feel myself. I, I so many times I like I I don't meet my own expectations sometimes, and I've got to deal with that. You know. Um, so what would be the one piece of advice if you could distill it down? This one might be challenging, but if you were going to sit and, and stare someone in the eye on their first day of jujitsu knowing what you know and the struggles you've been through, what 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 would you say to them that would be the one thing that you'd want to hear on day one? I think I think I, I think it's important to see it as a as a a vehicle for development. That's within your jujitsu. So it's not out like we we all sort of set goals and and you know as much as you you, you know you don't want to care about your blue belt or your purple or, or so you always do but um, I think if you see it more like what you were saying as, as development that you're just gonna every obstacle that you're gonna face you're gonna see that as a, as another moment another opportunity it's not it's not a problem it's an opportunity awesome. to develop. And I think also if you see that develop, if you see it as a as a period of development, I think really start to focus on what it does outside of the academy as well, what how it permeates into your everyday life. It's, I mean, in jiu-jitsu, you've got to be calm. If if somebody's taken my, if one of my students have taken my back and 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 I I act annoyed or frustrated or I get emotional in any kind of way, that is not the mindset that's going to enable me to deal with that situation calm presence of mind is the ideal mindset that you need to solve that problem and i think that that happens in, in your everyday life so if you're having an argument with your spouse you or whatever getting emotional is not going to be it's going to be counterproductive so you, you sort of like these lessons start to permeate down into your life where i, I feel like you can be it has real value you know I, th I think that's really important for me personally Definitely. because I think going through the massive amount of obstacles that you are going to go through um, through a jiu-jitsu journey, if you see them as part of a development and as a, as a part of um, um, opportunities that are going to benefit your life outside of the gym, I, I think it's something you just can't let go of. It, it's, too, it's too valuable. And is there anything else do you think that gives... This is a rhetorical question, I think. But is there anything else out there that 
can provide us with the same depth of opportunity. I can't see it, man. Like, we've got a lot of students coming from CrossFit, yeah, which I think provide them with the same kind of tick box in terms of challenge, skill, community, competition. There's something deeper about the martial art aspect of what we're doing that does develop us a little bit more internally. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think, and I'm trying not to be biased here because we do jiu-jitsu, yeah. but I do feel like I'm struggling to think of maybe like the military training I've been through, similar-ish stuff. But again, that was a little bit more kind of do that and do as you're told, but this is more of an internal kind of development. Can you think of anything else to say? What about you, man? Do you think about anything else? Uh, I would maybe just push back a little bit on the skill thing. I think, I mean, I've not done CrossFit. I understand CrossFit. Um, but I don't know if, I'd, I'd maybe say the pool of skill depth is probably deeper in Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah. Definitely, mate. Yeah. Sorry, mate. Yeah. I, what I meant was people yeah. who do CrossFit tend to be skill hungry people because you could just right. go, yeah, yeah. you could go to the gym yeah, and just yeah. lift weights, but they're like, no, no, I want to learn how to snatch. Yeah. I want to learn how to muscle up. I want to learn how to ring, yeah. whatever it is. So the search and information, maybe yeah. that's better too. Yeah. But I, I still don't think it crosses over to the depths of personal development, spiritual development that a martial art can do. Mm. It teaches so many other lessons, doesn't it? Yeah, because I guess um, because it, you know, if you're pitted against another person, it's like got much more of an emotional connection than oh that person beat me on like a, a time thing. It's like it becomes something far more primal. It's like that person uh, fully yeah. dominated me. And yeah. If uh, if this was you know Stone Age man, he could have just <laughs> slaughtered me. And that, that maybe be. it's the tactile nature then. Maybe maybe part of this is our connection with other people all the time and sharing it with others. You know, we, mm. at the moment we have, we've had a lot of kids joining and a lot of parents saying like, what equipment do they need? I'm like, nothing. They're like, no, 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 surely they need some stuff. And I'm like, no, uniform and a training partner, but you must have a training partner. You can't do jiu-jitsu alone. You can't do jiu-jitsu alone. Maybe it is being around other people and sharing that struggle with them and sharing. And, and Professor Tom talked about it being a really honest martial art as far as your character's laid bare. Like, mm. There's no hiding. You can't shadow box on the bag and look awesome. No. You've got to do it. Yeah. I want to see it with someone yeah. else right now. Does it work? Yeah. Maybe it's that, I don't know. We're running low on time, so I'm going to rapid fire some questions. Feel free to just take as long as uh, short as you want. Are you just saying I'm talking too much? That was a, <laughs> a, quick, a quick cough there, man. I'll take <laughs> it. <laughs> um, what does it mean to live in the spirit of martial arts? Like, how, what does that mean to you? Um... I think the internal development. I think um, I think being a better person. I think I, I try to be. I try to live with integrity, and I think um, you you. I think you start with that kind of outward martial arts journey, and then at some point, hopefully, it, it becomes inward. And I think um, yeah, I think just treating everybody with decency. Um, I think, and, but to do that, you have to be able to control yourself, you know, um, control your own emotions, um, control your own ego and, and, and be massively honest with yourself. I think that's a, that's a huge thing. I think, um, I think a lot of people live in probably a certain amount of deception, um, because it's safer, more comfortable. And I think there's a certain amount of courage where that, that internal journey from martial arts should should start and I think that's huge. I think that's where the real the real struggle is. I think everything on the mat's actually quite 
easy in comparison. Mm. So I think that's where I think that's where I, I see my martial arts sort of journey being. I don't know what's the right word. Maybe the most um, highest, most important. Right. I think. Yeah. You mentioned um, that you like to read a lot in the podcast. Uh, what is the book you recommend the most? Ooh. Um, hmm. I think it probably depends on what kind of stage you're at as such. Um, I mean, I mentioned a power, the power of now, but that's very, um, a lot of people are going to read through that and think that's a lot of rubbish. What did he even recommend? But it depends on where you're at. You know, it's going to speak to you at different points of your martial arts journey. Um, Watch My Back was one that, that, that really spoke to me. Um, in the early days, um, so yeah, but they're they're two that I, that that stand out for me as being real um, milestones as such. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and then, it's, um, we definitely have to get me back on at some point as well. Oh, because yeah. I did have a lot more to watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but is there anyone in the martial arts world can be local or worldwide? It's just something that you think. You, know, you need to reach out to that person and hear their story too because they've got something to share. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, I mean, Matty Evans is one of the Jeff Thompson's uh, instructors. He's, he's simply a phenomenal person. Um, and he, he came up, I don't know if you guys know much about Jeff Thompson, he, he, he came up uh, as the famed animal days. This is before MMA where um, traditional martial arts kind of reign supreme um but jeff's jeff's um, um journey was through the doors uh, when Coventry, Coventry at the time where he worked on the doors was voted the most violent city in in europe at the time and um he he pioneered these animal days where all to all martial arts could come in any range really essentially an mma uh, class as such but much more focused to to real real life uh, scenarios, and um, he went through them at the time when it when it was absolutely brutal. In fact, I think an MP once stood up in the House of Commons and actually after talking about getting something done about this guy in Coventry <laughs> to, to, to that point. Yeah, it was wow. uh, it was incredible. But he's a very very ins- inspirational world class instructor. So somebody like that, you know, he's awesome. um, not very well known, but should, probably yeah. should be. That's amazing. Mm. Well, um, thank you so much for. No, thank you, friends. Really, thank you, really awesome to hear the stories <laughs> and your philosophies and all that. A lot of wisdom there. Yeah, yeah, yeah for thank, sure. you. thank you. And um, yeah, if we get a chance, I'd love to come over to Duke Bradford and meet the team. Always more than welcome. Thank you. I'll see you this Sunday, actually. Uh, yes, I'll see you down at the British. Yeah, yeah awesome. Thank you, Professor mm. Mike. Thank you, sir. And uh, see you next time, guys. Thank you, guys. <laughs>